Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion. With your host, Dapper Data. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? You are listening to the Data is My Science podcast, a show to make data your passion. I am your host, Dapper Data. Today, I have a special guest on here today. His name is Rama Riali. I will dive deeper into his background. I'm telling you right now, you do not want to miss this podcast. We're going to talk about something we've never talked about before, okay? Data mesh and data democratization. All right, these are two important topics, right? If you haven't heard of data mesh, we're talking about that approach to being able to build that decentralized data architecture out there. And then uh, data democratization, all right, we're really talking about the ability for information in that digital format to be accessible to the average end user. And I think it's important that we understand both of these terms wholeheartedly. We're gonna dive into that. Rama, thank you for being on the podcast. Say hello to everybody. Hey, Bobby and everyone on the channel. Um, nice to meet you all. Yeah, yeah. So Rama, so Rama is very, very influential. He's he's been an innovative person within the IT industry. And he's highly accomplished within the data solutions industry as well. Uh, he has over 25 years of experience driving strategy and technology across many enterprise initiatives with a track record of leveraging tech investments of data solutions. Rama has been that go-to leader that everybody needs to go to. All right, he needs to, you need to make sure that Rama is in your circle and you need to follow him, I promise you. Uh, Rama is now the VP of a company that we'll talk about in a few, all right? And he's talking about what's happening in Data Lakehouse, right? Data Mesh and Data Observability, you know? So thank you again, Rama, for being on the on the podcast. I really appreciate you joining in. Thank you for having me, Bobby, again. Much appreciated. Yeah, so Rama, so you, you are the VP of a company that's called Get, that's called Right Data, all right? If you and 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 I think it's important to understand exactly what you're doing with that company as well, you know. And 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 if you're able to do that, you know, like this, this company right here is doing some amazing things. I know you shared a white paper with me before, you know. And I just want to talk about what the role is playing in technology today, if possible. Yeah. So I'll just tell who Right Data is to to get us started. Right. Right Data. We are a data software company and we build software that empowers and unified data teams uh, through a modern data platform. And the name of that platform is Dextrous, D-E-X-T-R-U-S. Okay. And our commitment is to bring in data quality focus also through another tool called RDT. Uh, and to add more value to it, we also have a machine learning uh, studio and a data wrangler built into the Dextrous platform. I think all in all, as we are the right data, we enable the data ops methodology to our data through our data engineering platform and combined with data quality. So you have the potent mix. No, that I mean that 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 is important, right? Data quality, you know, what you said right there is important because a lot of times I think that as organizations, as individuals, we're presenting this data uh, to even algorithms, right? You know, I'm doing a, a huge piece right now I'm, right now i'm getting my phd in data science and i am sitting there trying to understand how this 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 algorithm is making this decision 
right? You know, for individuals, maybe venture capitalists, maybe financial industries, things like that, right? But, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we're getting mad at or getting upset at the algorithm, maybe we're being biased or something like that, but really the data is the biased stuff, right? You know, really the quality of the data is not there. So, you know, we have to take it a step further back, right? To something like that, where that quality of the data is is very important, you know? Um, so, so I want to touch on data mesh too, right? You know, what is it, you know, the importance of it, the future of it, because when we talk about data mesh, you know, I, I worked at NetApp as we talked about before, and that is a huge topic in the industry right now, especially the government industry, financial industry, uh, healthcare systems, you know, all those public sector groups, I am hearing a lot about data mesh, right? Just like this, this buzzword going around almost, right? We talk about buzzwords, you know, uh, and, and from my understanding, and please help me with this, Ron, is, is that data meshes really provide that solution for uh, uh, those shortcomings of data lakes, if you will, you know, by allowing like this greater autonomy um, and flexibility for the data owners. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a uh, what, what is it? It's, uh, I've, they've, I've talked, they've talked about that uh, Eric Evans theory uh, of being able to talk about that domain driven design that's out there, yep. right? You know, so it's all about that domain, right? Can you talk a little bit more about data mesh and what that means? Yeah, so I I, um, I really want to make a connection to the audience to that same context of data quality, right? Let's start there first. So one of the one of the bigger challenges in any enterprise is bringing trust in data, which is nothing but keeping the data pristine to the point where it's usable. Data quality at the top notch. Your critical assets you cannot closely guard them. So when, when you go back into that conversation you started with, you have a machine learning thing you're working on, and the problem is the data, right? What people mm -hmm. forget is technology teams, though they, they, they shepherd, they steward the data as it comes into the lake house and all those great places, mm -hmm. right? Data warehouse in the cloud and everything. The, the problem surfaces in the data warehouse, but the challenge is it's not something the data teams can fix themselves. Right. Mm. So this is where the data mesh connection comes to play. So mm. when you look at the evolution of all the great things happening in data, right? We had Kinbundles, Inmans, data walls, and all the great stuff mm -hmm. happening. Then you have data mesh coming in. And when you see the 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 promise of data mesh, it is how do we bring that improvement to quality knowing the problem is way upstream, right? The problem mm -hmm. is way upstream. It is where the business domains, as you call them, like the CRM systems, the ERP systems, the sales systems, all the other applications that feed in information to the enterprise, that's mm. where the data problems start, right? It's Whether like the, the problem, edge, right? It, it is. It's at the edge. I mean, as the mm. information comes into the enterprise, if the emphasis can be put into improving data quality, all the things that happen downstream which is going into the lake house, the data warehouse, the analytics, the machine learning. Mm -hmm. I would say 80% of them safely. Of course, the other 20% could fall in because of someone did a wrong coding. That can mm -hmm. happen. Engineers are smart people, but engineers are human beings. They make mistakes. So are data scientists and everyone, right? So yeah. I think where the data mesh gets you into is how do I take the problem that is here upstream so I can solve it at the source of the problem. And that's when the whole concept of domain ownership comes. Now, if you're a business owner, if you're a mm -hmm. domain owner of finance, 
what the data mesh is saying, my friend, you own it. You know better than anyone in the enterprise, your data. So you do the right things from people and process. Mm -hmm. Things should fall in place, right? That's the data product and everything coming out of it. Yeah. Oh, man. So it's almost like putting the ownership now back on the person that originated from, right? You know, instead of it putting it on this algorithm or something that's out there doing the uh, doing, doing the actual learning and all that good stuff, right? You know, yeah. I, I mean, do you see... Do you see uh, this being a problem, like a, a kickback from the data owners to say, hey, look, you know, I am, or does it, is it, that responsibility, is it too much for the, for the data owner? No, I think <laughs> this is where the whole notion of um, the data democracy comes into play, right? Data democracy mm -hmm. is not saying, I, as a technology person, I'm not saying because I'm a bigger number, <laughs> let's mm -hmm. say if IT is a bigger entity, I'm not saying I should win or neither yeah. you in a business and business normally is the bigger component of any enterprise, right? It's mm -hmm. not saying the majority wins here. What, what the data democracy says is you need to put emphasis to where it makes sense. Meaning, okay, in this example of data mesh, yes, you would see the pendulum swinging from the far end, one end from the right to one end in the left. That's not a right. good thing either, right? Because right. one, one thing you what you said just now is the business domain teams are typically not technically savvy teams, mm -hmm. right? So this is one of the challenges that you could see or one of the opportunities for improvement you see is mm -hmm. how do the technical domain teams, which are the engineering teams, the IT teams, how do they work hand in hand with the domain owners so the pendulum doesn't have to be extreme swinging? It could be somewhere in the middle how do mm -hmm. we come to that point of, I would still use the word inflection, where both the teams feel that there is a level of responsibility. Yes, there is an emphasis to data quality and the engineering teams are saying, we're gonna provide you proper technologies, whether it's technologies like what we have at Right Data, like RDT from a data mm -hmm. quality automation, where it's a platform uh, where the business and the technical teams can come together right? So they mm -hmm. can start to enforce the rules-driven process into the, mm -hmm. into the tool, and you can consistently apply the rules across the ecosystem. Because technology teams don't have the domain knowledge. Right. And I think right. people forget that's the strength of the domain owners. They mm -hmm. know their stuff. They mm -hmm. know their data. They can dictate the terms to say, okay, here you are an enterprise A. If I'm in the sales domain, I know as an enterprise A, what sales data you would need to make some meaningful uh, 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 analysis at the consumption standpoint, right? It's how do we yeah. bring that collectiveness in the teams? That's the focus. It's not saying domain owners, now you are tough luck. That should never be the way, <laughs> not the way I see it, not the way no one should see it. It's like, uh -huh. how do we hold your hand together? The hand holding is still no different. It's like, mm -hmm. how do we give you a level of ownership? Yeah. At the end of the day, it is our data as an enterprise data. We all mean and care for it. How do we get yeah. the value from it? Who is doing what and how do we support each other? I think that's where the, the broader emphasis needs to be. No, I like that because now it's, it's sort of like spreading the love, right? You know, spreading the, the responsibility, right? You know, the ownership. Um, you know, sometimes I do worry about, right, you know, we have this whole concept of like responsible AI now, right, this trust the AI or explainable AI that's out there. And so when you think about 
that transition from the domain order all the way to the technology, you know, it, it almost allows it to be more of a, in my head, you know, maybe you can correct me. It just seems like it could be more of a problem to define who is responsible for what when you start spreading it out, right? Like, you know, before, if it's just on the machine, then you can blame the machine or whoever developed that machine. And then, you know, now we're starting to say, well, now the domain owners, are, are they're the ones providing the data. And, and so it could almost trace back to say, look, you know, the responsibility is no longer on this technology individual, the person that built this design algorithm, the model that's out there. It's no longer responsible for it, right? You know, it goes all the way back to say the data owner now has some level of responsibility in there to provide it. And and I like that because if you if you're putting a little bit more pressure on that data owner, you know, the product owner, then then they will provide quality data, you know, at the time, right? So I love that. And I think one more point that comes to my mind in technology or any enterprise, everything is project, 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 mm -hmm. right? So data as a product, I think this is where I love this, right? Mm -hmm. Because a project to a product is a very different mindset, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at from the, the, the three uh, legs of a stool, the budget, the scope, and, uh, uh, and, 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 and uh, the timeline point of view, right mm -hmm. or prioritization standpoint this is not changing much mm -hmm. right so what we are saying in, in in that perspective is mainly pointing you with a product mindset you have a vision you have a strategy you have a budget and it doesn't have to be a project which ends in six weeks most right. of the places the challenge is everyone means right things Business constantly evolves, right? Budgets are hard to find. When the budget comes through, the thinking is, I am working on a project. So the, the right. problem with that statement is projects are very limited in lifetime. They have a very short shell life, mm. right? Six weeks, three months. What after then? You build this great solution. You've got the budget to build it for three months. And after three months, there's no more project because the project completed but the data as a product hasn't completed. Oh. Data is still in the, in the process of happening. So all yeah. of a sudden, you, you can't put focus to it because at the end of the day, it's all about budgets and it's all about commitments, all about timelines, all about pressure. deliverables. Yeah. <laughs> so when you bring the whole notion of product, now you have a vision, you have a strategy, you can execute the vision. Visions are typically 18 months. Right. So the product, mm -hmm. depending on how critical the product, not every data is equal. I'm a strong mm -hmm. believer in that, too. But when there is a product that is critical to the company, now you can have a vision, strategy, execution, everything playing. So you mm -hmm. build a complete product as opposed to building a half-baked product, which no one can find used to. And that also, I believe, strongly would minimize any and every data duplication, which is a foundational pillar of data democracy. Man, man, you know. So what do what do you do about the data that's already in there, right? I mean, do you <laughs> how do you handle that, right? I mean, now you introduce this mess, right? Yes. And you have these product owners in there, you have the data owners are involved, they're responsible and all that good stuff. But there's already data in the centralized location, you know. Do you just 
override it eventually over time? Or do you, I mean, you know, how does that work in your eyes? So I think that's a great question, right? I think this is probably the question many people have. Methodologies are coming every three years. And what do I do mm -hmm. with what I've done all that? You could have done everything in a, back to your point, in a centralized data warehouse. No one's going to preach to tell the business that your business needs to stop today because I'm going to adopt right. it with data mesh. <laughs> that's, crazy. that's craziness so I, I i hope no one says everything you've done is wrong mm -hmm. which never works right yes there is always i'm um, again let me explain you who what rama is right mm -hmm. i i've never believed in a perfection i know there is a perfect solution as in utopia never mm -hmm. exists I've mm -hmm. never seen it in my 27 years, be it me, me being a C++ developer or me being where I am today. You got to take the fine balance and say, let's take an approach that's kind of common sense, right? Mm -hmm. Perfection will happen. Eventual consistency is such a big thing these days in NoSQL, big data days, right? Everything is going to be eventually consistent. But how mm -hmm. do you track a consistent approach where you come to a state, which is an end state that is stable and acceptable? Right. Yeah. So to your point, to belabor, not to belabor the, what the question was. So you can't just say tomorrow, walk in an enterprise saying, oh, you build everything one way. It's all trash. Doesn't work. <laughs> right? <Wipe> it, out. <laughs> it, it is like you take it a baby step. Let's say you have a new product you have to build. Classic mm -hmm. example, Greenfield, never had mm -hmm. it before. Now take a data mesh as an approach. Mm -hmm. Right. Or. You have some critical assets and you are challenged for data quality. Now identify, mm -hmm. so your, your end goal is to succeed and to show the business that the data mesh is not a figment of someone's imagination. A data mm -hmm. mesh is a real thing. You can touch and feel it because you get data on the other end of the solution from a consumption, because data mesh is all about consumption analytics, mm -hmm. right? It's about making sure you're able to gain the knowledge from data to get some meaningful information so you can gain as a business, right? Right, right, so, right. So in, in the case of other where you already have data, yes, you, you can still figure out to continue to work on it, continue to move what you have while you can show up the new process in place and build the critical assets simultaneously. So at one point, you would have probably two, two solutions in play. But that's mm -hmm. going to be the um, decision-making based on the appetite of an enterprise. How do you approach it? Some, some enterprises might say, I don't care, just do a complete redo, which right. okay, there's probably a reason and justification to it. Mm -hmm. But I, I struggle with that notion, right? You just cannot mm -hmm. unplug something. Things were done for a reason. Give it a time. We will build another layer of process to support that, mm -hmm. right? That's my, way of, that's my way of taking it, so... No, that's a great, that's a great point. Great approach, great methodology, you know, and I'm glad you were able to explain that because I know that's a common problem out there where they where they always ask, like you mentioned, you know, what about the current way things are going, right? Do I just wipe everything out? And if they do, then, you know, I guess if they're a new company, you know, whatever, then it's always best, you know, of course, to start with, with a great solid foundation, yeah. like the data mesh and, uh, you know, in there, but but if they're not, then you kind of introduce this thing, then, you know, it's this layer approach. I like the layered approach that you're mentioning, right? You know, it takes time and patience, you know, I mean, this thing probably could take, you know, years and of, of, of transitioning, you know, over time, depending on, you know, how spread out the data, right, you know, is and, and, and the different sources and all that good stuff. So, you know, and, 
what I'm taking from this, you know, data democracy is, is important because it is improving that decision making yeah. and the data is accessible now to all employees, right, which allows the entire organization to make like those comparable and aligned judgments. So I do appreciate you breaking that down. Can you give some examples of data democracy or data democratization, you know, in, in, in your mind? Yeah. So I think the challenge statement, which I called out in my white paper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the challenges is technology teams are really hard working, right? Mm-hmm. Always. There's, there's so much to do and they're so understaffed in most of the places, right? And the priorities are always constantly changing. One challenge you would hear from the businesses or a, a, a knowledge leader in the company is, I, I cannot get access to the data. It takes too long for me to get an access. Why does mm-hmm. it take for me to wait for three weeks to get access to uh, some table and some database, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's like, okay, I got the data. I don't know how to read it. Man, mm-hmm. it's got fantastic column names. Everything looks great. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know what the context is, right? How do I yeah. how do I drive into any meaningful knowledge from the data so I can self-service myself, right? And the the other thing is, okay, data is here. I don't have a technology at my disposal to go do the right things, right? I don't know. I mean, I thought this was <laughs> SQL, but it's it's JSON now. I don't know how to read uh-huh. JSON. Who could teach me? Oh, it's an it's it's a REST API. I don't know how to read it, right? Right. And and, <laughs> and the other problem is um, the the there are multiple copies of data. It, mm-hmm. it, it happens in every enterprise, right? People mm-hmm. start to build these these data. Uh, assets, yeah, and data assets grow, and the same asset is five places, five different ways. Yeah, <laughs> I see which, it all the time. <laughs> which, which is the data? So those are the kind of challenges, right? And and if you paid it back, either looking it through the lens of data mesh or looking mm-hmm. through the lens of data democracy, both of them are approaching the problem statement in two ways. Data democracy says. You need access to the right information at the right time. Controls and accesses are needed. And mm-hmm. Data Mesh says, here are the domain owners. We know what we need, what the enterprise needs from data. I'm going to build them in a way where you as an end consumer know how to read it, know how to access it, know how to process it after you access it. Because from mm-hmm. an IT standpoint, now that's the, the, the platform collaboration and governance and everything coming play, right? You can't mm-hmm. just explore into the Data Mesh without architecture principles that cannot be overlooked, right? What mm-hmm. standards are you going to follow, whether it's going to be a Kimball, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to be a, 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 a normalized approach, whether it's a data vault approach, mm-hmm. there's standard approaches you're going to do, star schema, whatever you want to do, or completely de-normalized. Is it a complete virtualization? There is n number of ways to skin the same problem. So mm-hmm. you need to understand for each of the approaches, do I have the technology available for the domain owners mm-hmm. to make sure they can freely and safely do the job, right? Same thing. What are the policies, procedures, and standards that are centralized that need to be adopted and applied on the platform? Data quality. Do you need a testing tool like uh, uh, RDT? Or from an engineering standpoint, do you need a tool like Dextrous, which is complete from end to end, right? From ingestion to the consumption and transformation in between. How do you simplify the challenge statement? How do you make it easy for the code deploys, CICD, let's not forget that. The orchestration. Mm-hmm. Now you see how technical the space is becoming. 
But then how do you make this technical space uh, safe enough for the business domain owners to safely uh, work in it, knowing they got what they need, they have the support they need, and they got the technology teams to back them up to get the job done. See, now it, it is not no more a simple problem. It's not we saying, like if you remember my first statement, it's mm -hmm. we're not saying the pendulum swing is going from one end to the other. It's right. like a pendulum swing coming somewhere here in the middle. Yeah. And how do we enable both sides? How do the both 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 sides of the equation, technical, non-technical, will have a equal role to play? That to me is data democratization. No, that that is amazing definition. I love those examples. And those two examples that really stood out to me, right, was that IT ownership kind of model, and then that data silo model, right? You know, and when you think about, I mean, just thinking about that data silo model, I mean, I it just brings back nightmares with companies that I've, that I've worked with, you know, where I was in the company and I'm like, oh man, there's so many copies of this data everywhere, right? You know, it doesn't matter where it is, it's about five plus different copies of it. Now, that's a problem in itself, right? You're trying to search, you're doing searches within, the, within your company or within the platform you have, and then you see uh, multiple copies, right? You're like, which one is the right one? Which one is the latest version? Whatever it is, and then, uh, the other problem is like the space that we're talking about is taking up, right? You know, something that is a whole nother organization problem, probably the yep. storage company or something like that. The storage organization, they're like, man, you know, if it, and, and especially say if you can't really, uh, I guess, uh, um, you know, be duped or something like that, you know, then you're looking at, you know, now you're taking up space that's unneeded. Right, you know, and you're paying more money for it, so it always comes back to the business model and stuff, you know. And what I'm hearing from you is that it's not just this technical problem anymore, right? It's a process, processes have to be in place, right? Processes have to be in place, and that's important, right? And so, those processes can come from all these different organizations, but it has to be in place, right? Even and that solves this technical problem that we're having here, yep. you know. And so I, I, I love everything you said there. That data silo model or, or as an example of data democracy, that is important because data is created uh, or collected and stored within like these silo systems for role specific tasks and it can get crazy. I mean, I have seen craziness happen in an organization. And so, um, so I want to dive a little bit deeper, right, into data democracy, right, or democratization, you know, and understanding these pros and cons right especially the cons because a lot of people are like man this sounds great but yeah. what can you get yourself into a little bit you know as a, as a problem right you know there's some risk in there i'm assuming when it comes down to it maybe the the, the pros outweigh the cons but you know in your head in your mind what, what are your thoughts on that i think one one challenge i see uh which normally gets into um how much you can achieve within a data democratization, right? Because if you look at the the pillars of data governance, there is metadata management, there is mm -hmm. business rules, there is technical rules, there is lineage, uh, then there is uh, data change management, right? These are all pretty big, right? Mm -hmm. Now, not every enterprise has the appetite to go solve for everything, mm -hmm. right? One lesson I've learned over my many years of working in the data is you need to understand the pulse of the enterprise, the pulse of the audience or whoever your stakeholders are, and you got to drive the approaches based on it, 
right? Maybe mm-hmm. some places are more willing to put an investment into data architecture, mm-hmm. right? Most of the enterprises do, but I've seen places where they put more emphasis on, on building and developing. Okay, you need to approach the problem differently, but mm-hmm. a weak architecture, whether it's solution or data architecture, would only make the solutions less scalable and less tenable, right? We all know it. So one challenge is data democracy is mm-hmm. having a good balance, right? Mm-hmm. And and you can go and have a conversation to get the funding or with the teams, with the business to say, I'm going to model, data model everything to death. That's not going to work, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So depending on, again, it goes back to my point of not every data asset is created equal or not mm-hmm. every data product is created equal in, in the same token. You got to figure out what are the data products that are close to you and what are the ones that are more enterprise-wide in that point of consumption. And there could be some assets coming from finance, sales, marketing, and others. They could create tens of data products, but only one or two could be, oh my God, this is this is it, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, got to, I got to take care of this with all my life one that's more secure, more private, more more critical. So you got mm-hmm. to do certain things differently. You got to have a proper solutioning, proper architecting, and you need to make sure from a data quality standpoint, data lineage standpoint, what are the things you have to do, right? The technology stack, like the modern technology stack that we have in Right Data, Dexterous and all, they come with a way to auto-curate information, right? Uh, mm-hmm. the, the semantics or the actual... Uh, lineage information is baked into the product, right? Right. Um, yeah. th- that's becoming much more, pro- uh, I mean, prevalent these days. So mm-hmm. I think you need to identify what is that that acceptable criteria you want to adopt, mm-hmm. because data democracy can can overwhelm people, right? Because there is yeah. lineage, there is metadata management, there is data modeling, data architecture, all of these data change management is big again. Uh, so. All, all of these cannot be overlooked. You need to figure out which makes sense and the others look the other way and don't even do anything about it, right? Right, right. And I, I love that, you know, and, and with that, I just think of one word, right? Patience, right? <laughs> when, when you're going through this process because, you know, it could be a heavy, heavy task or heavy load on the company. It can be overwhelming, right? You know, when you're trying to implement all the processes in place. And, you know, also like, I, I love the fact that you mentioned lineage all right lineage is being a possible you know problem in this aspect right you know being able to you think about losing a a single source of that data related truth right (laughs) resulting from like all these different silos and stuff right or it's unknown silos is out there you know and it's forcing and 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 shoot i mean even i think think about like exposing organizations to like legal or ethical or privacy concerns. oh of course yeah you know so that has to be something that is there's a huge possibility in there and then you know i guess people misinterpreting the data right you know knowing enough to be dangerous kind of thing and misinterpreting something like the data and, and making those bad decisions as a result it could it could it could all be you know possibilities or cons you know so you know Anyways, all right. So I, I really, I, I love this topic to death, right? You know, and and I wanted to, if you could highlight, you know, one or two strategic steps to forming this data democratization within a company, you know, what would be the ones that you would think of? 
I could certainly, myself being an, a, a technical guy, an architect, I put a lot of emphasis into data architecture, whether it's data mm -hmm. modeling uh, or having some proper solution diagrams, right? So mm -hmm. you have a, a vision and strategy and how do you align the vision and strategy to a, a solution diagram that shows you this is how we're going to put that together. Here is mm -hmm. a technology stack, right? And then backing up with a proper data model where not just the technology teams, but now we're going to make it more transparent. We're going to take it to the audience, which is the, consume, the, the consumer of the data or the business domain owner. And we're going to show them, here is a visual representation of what we're going to put as a solution. Mm -hmm. Look it through and let's have an engaging conversation to help us as technology. Are we going in the right track? We don't want to build, like remember that representation of a tire swing and what it ends up? That's a classic mm -hmm. representation. So we don't want to go into that place. Yes, some of that can happen still. But bringing in the, the data democracy as, as a knowledge sharing, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer of having these as strategic approaches, data model, solution diagram, and review of those solutions before even a line of code can go on the paper. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Right, and so then... And, and then the second thing is, how do you simplify the code release process? CICD is such a big thing. The, 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 the change and the change, uh, the continuous integration and the continuous deployments, it's still not specific to software. It's specific to data also. How do you simplify wow. the process, right? The code collaboration, the code check-in, the release management, the change management. I think mm. I've called out at least five different aspects outside of uh, four aspects outside of architecture. These are all are foundational in my mind. You can't overlook anyone. Yeah, no, no, I, I mean, that that's amazing, you know, and I hope the audience is definitely capturing that because those are tips, you know, when trying to implement these strategies into your organization, you know, even, yeah, I, I typically think about, you know, like, where is the data coming from, right? You know, like that data source mapping, for some reason that sticks to mind as, as something that could be very viable, right? Creating or consulting like this map of that data source, you know, at, you know, and that goes back to lineage, I guess, you know, but it's like, where the heck is this data coming from, right? <laughs> you know, it's coming from, you know, and who, what product or the individual, you know, tracing it all the way back is probably something that is key. And if not key, it's going to be key in the future, you know? So again, thank you for being on a podcast. Now, I love, I love at the end to, to uh, leave a dope nugget or gem, you know, with the audience. And, you know, it's been amazing talking to you, you know, and this really explains what we've learned, right? You know, for me, through our conversation, I've definitely learned that uh, the, the data quality problem starts at the edge, right? You know, that was amazing when we, when we got to that point and it, it was like a light bulb, right? That said, okay, well, you know, and I don't, and, and honestly, I don't think a lot of organizations implement something like that, you know, and they focus on that, that edge part of the process, the domains, right? You know, they're the ones who know their data the most, you know, so you sort of trust them to feed the systems, right, with, with the quality data and, and that data democracy improves decision-making, you know. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? I think the, just to keep it simple, I know uh, methodologies come and go, but I think the foundations of data, having a solid architecture, mm -hmm. right? Having a, I would say data quality is probably the biggest pain point in any organization. 
if you could control that, I, I could safely say 60 to 70% of the problems would vanish. Right. No one would come ask you for data quality. I mean, yeah. data lineage. Because yeah. the business is in such a comfortable place at that point. They know the data is always going to be pristine. Yeah. Right? You can have more information on hand, but architecture and data quality to me are so pure. I, I cannot imagine an enterprise operating without those two foundational capabilities, Simon. So. Yeah. No, no, you, you, you know, you sound like, um, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Ng. Is that okay. his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be yeah because he, 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 he just did the, well, not just did, but he had this amazing talk on, it's on YouTube now, right? And, and, and he was talking about how, you know, the model, right? People are always talking about, oh, I need to change, change my model to become more accurate, right? All the time. And he said, you know what? If you want your, if you want the, the final decision to be more accurate or model to be more accurate, you need to give quality data, right? <laughs> and he's like, you're, you're, you need to start further back. And then he actually showed how, you know, changing the quality of the data, whether the data set is small or big, you know, actually helps that model be more accurate or everything to be more accurate. So the decision at the end of the day is more accurate in the long run, you know? So I just thought that was amazing. Uh, you know, I was like, he must be listening to Andrew. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'll look but it up. So, so is it Andrew uh, I-N-G or Y-O-U-N-G? Actually, Andrew uh, N-G. So, oh, N-G, N-G, okay. Yeah, N-G, yeah, yeah. I can send it to you, you know, outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. So now for the fun stuff. All right. So now we usually get into a game. As the audience knows, it's called Overrated, Underrated. And this game really talks about, it's, it's, I got it from a mentor of mine, uh, Gary Vee, and it allows the audience to really make a connection with us outside of our geeky lifestyle that we always do, right? You know, we are geeks. We know it. We're, we love the code. We love technology. We, we live this thing. We breathe it. But we do think about some of the other stuff, you know, in this world. And so, you know, are you ready for the game? Right on. All right. The first topic is cold weather. It's certainly uh, cold weather. I know my problems, so I would certainly <laughs> not underrate it. <laughs> it is certainly, it's, it's actually, it, it gets me because I have some issues, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I love, I, I mean, I, I hate cold weather. You know, I'm a July <laughs> baby, and I just, I mean, I sit there, it just, it bothers me, you know, to, to the fullest. All right, traveling. I would say so overrated in some sense, because I'm not oh. a big traveler myself. So mm -hmm. I'm okay. I mean, on and you off, I do it. The company? On and off, I have to, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. All right, I only say this because you are in ATL, Coca-Cola. Uh, did I lose you there? Is it my connection or your connection, uh, Bobby? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, you, you're okay. Your, your video froze up, so I don't know. Oh, it did? Oh, sorry about that. Uh, I was saying, yeah. Coca, can you can you hear me now? I can oh, hear I you. Yeah. Oh, here we go. There we go. Okay. Uh, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola? Um, they're just where they are, I mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're in the right Definitely place. That. 
So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't drink uh, Coca-Cola that much. I only say that because you're in Atlanta and they say that that's where it started. It's the big thing and stuff, you know. I, uh, I don't drink uh, uh, sodas as much. So, uh, but okay. I still think Atlanta isn't, isn't where it needs to be. Let me put it that yeah. way. <laughs> we yeah. love Coca-Cola. All right, the printer. I cannot live without it, so it's certainly not underrated. Really? The, the I, trust me. I mean, I have my paper. I'm a paper guy. I got to see yeah. it. Not, uh -huh. I don't print everything, but the things that I really need to keep it in here in my head, mm -hmm. I read them at least a few times. So I still am a big book guy. I buy books like crazy. Uh -huh. I mean, uh, every so book I see. Hardcover books. Uh, I, I love them. Hard, soft. Okay. It doesn't matter. I buy mm -hmm. it. I read it at least once. That's my okay, passion. Okay. So, all right, pizza. Actually, I have one at home, so it's certainly not underrated. <laughs> my kids are having it for lunch now, so. <laughs> no, that's definitely good for the kids. And every once in a while, I like to dabble in it myself. You know. Oh, I'm gonna uh, have it after this me after this conversation. So. <laughs> all right, pizza. I mean, not pizza. Sorry, watches. I am a big fan of watches. I got three or four of them. I wear them. Uh -huh. The the old. Not the the digital kind, the old analogs like the Swisses, oh. like uh, the Movados and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love them. Okay, okay, all right. And the last one, the desktop. I think I still use a version of it in some way. Actually, I'm yeah. I'm on a standing desk with a monitor yeah. right there and a laptop in front of me. Good days, uh, but I think with uh, everything that's happened with the cloud storage, yeah, yeah. it was natural. It was just a, a progression that was waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I know um, at one point with GPUs and all that stuff starting to be, be pretty big, right? Resources starting to get bigger, you know, you terabyte hard drives and all that crap. Then it started to get to a point where we would, <laughs> we would uh, you know, we, we wanted to, um, you know, get, we, I, I would keep, I had a desktop, right? Because that was the only thing. That can handle it but now like laptops they can do it all as well you know i love laptops you know mobile devices they're starting to implement all that i mean they got yeah. gpus and, like iphones and stuff you know now. So, yeah <laughs> <True>. getting crazy <laughs> which is true i mean it's it's not even 15 years ago which a desktop was such a big thing right yeah and 16 meg used to be oh my god man you got 16 meg of memory yeah. i'm like yeah, i know i'm like okay but now that's like 16 yeah. probably can't even process a one JSON file. I mean. so. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right, right. Well, thank you. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Audience, thank you all for listening to Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data a passion. I'm your host, again, Dapper Data. We love you all. Where can they reach you at? And is there anything that you're promoting right now? Yes. So uh, getrightdata.com, or you can look up on LinkedIn, Right Data. And mm -hmm. then uh, there's two things on focus for us. There is a conference coming up in uh, in Orlando at TDWI. We'd love to see you there. We have a, a sponsorship. And then we have our second event coming up in December in Washington, D.C. It's focusing on data governance and data quality. Uh, plus, there's a few other events locally here. But thank you, Bobby, again for having me here on this podcast. Uh, thank you, audience, for listening in. Hopefully, um, whatever the 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 information I shared, you would find it useful. And I look forward to many more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being on the podcast. Audience, as you know, you can always follow me at Mr. Dapper Data or any one of the social media platforms. And a link in the bio will direct you to my podcast as well. Definitely subscribe to the Data is My Science podcast on YouTube. Um, definitely tune in on the multiple audio, audio links as well. 
Uh, I love you all. Peace. Have a good one. Thank you. Have a- Thank you for listening to the Data is My Science podcast, the show that makes data your passion with your host, Dapper Data.